and welcome to On Opinion, the Palia podcast. I'm Turi Bunte. We live in opinionated times. Culture wars, identity politics, polarization. Everyone has an opinion. But do we know where our opinions come from? Do we know why we think what we think? In each episode, I'll talk to experts across all disciplines to help us understand the nature of opinion, how we form ideas, why we argue, and what that means for society. Today, we're thrilled to be talking to Jules Evans. Jules is a friend, um, but he's also a writer and a practical philosopher. Amongst his several books, he's written Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations, and The Art of Losing Control, um, in part about ecstasy in its role in culture. But the reason that we want to talk to him today is to look at the question of how spiritual people think. Uh, over the course of the On Opinion, we've looked at the ways in which the mind works, the ways in which opinions form the tribes that form around opinions. But here we want to look at one particular tribe, difficult to define, a little nebulous, but nevertheless recognizable, sort of across Western culture. We want to ask, essentially, how do spiritual people think in this apparent conflict between reason and religion, or feeling and rationalism? How do these things uh, all come together? Jules, can I just kick off asking you who we think we're talking about? Who are these? What is this group of people that we that is difficult to define, but we can nevertheless recognize? I would define them as um, they are sometimes defined as spiritual, but not religious. They are a subset of another group called the nuns, the, the uh, N-O-N-E-S, who are not affiliated to any particular religion. And of them, there are some who consider themselves nonetheless spiritual. Um, this could be about, uh, it's measured at about 20% of the population in the US, for example. It's one of the fastest growing religious denominations, even though they're not religious. Um, and they would tend to say they believe in things like God or a higher power, though they might call it by many different names, like, you know, universal spirit or source or the divine. Um, they might believe they're probably more inclined to believe in the soul. They believe in the kind of universe that has purpose and meaning as opposed to a, um, a mechanistic universe that, that is purposeless. Um, and then they're more likely to do things like pray and meditate or have spiritual practices like um, yoga, for example. Now that, um, and it's to some extent it grew out of uh, new age spirituality, which really boomed, as we'll discuss, in the kind of uh, after the 60s and in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, it has kind of broadened into something even bigger called wellness, um, which is now a $4 trillion industry and touches all of our lives. So in this sense, this is the kind of mainstreaming of some of this kind of uh, alternative health, alternative spirituality type um, practices from the 60s, 70s and 80s, which now, you know, so many people um, maybe have been to a yoga class or go regularly or have tried meditation, perhaps have, you know, a meditation app on their, on their phone. 
Um, or, may, you know, maybe have gone to uh, a chiropractor or aromatherapist or acupuncture. So wellness is very big. And not everyone in who's in, who's, you know, dabbled or be or, or drawn on services and wellness would necessarily consider themselves spiritual. But there's an overlap between those two things. So this is fascinating because within this, well, within COVID, obviously, we obviously there's a health issue around COVID, but we've also seen quite an interesting merging of, I say merging, but maybe I should say emergence of real alternative takes and spirituality. So anti-mask, anti-vax, et cetera, have sort of started to bleed into elements of this, um, if you want, wellness or spiritual group. So there's, on the one hand, there's that. And on the other, there is this also, a whole series of studies have come out very recently describing the very precipitous decline of religion, organized religion across the West. Um, even in the US, the US, which was always th this outlier in the OECD countries of being you know, very rich and very weird in that sense of Western and educated, et cetera, and individualistic, but nevertheless very religious. That is now no longer the case at all. I think the US is, I think half of Americans today no longer think they um, believe in organized religion. France apparently has just done the same thing, um, Catholic France. So we, there is a kind of, I wonder whether there's a there's a a link between this rise in spiritualism or the spiritual approach to the world and the demise of religion. But I think, as you would say, they are not at all one causing the other. It's not as if religious people of upsticks have moved over to spiritualism. They're a very different group. Um, I know. I actually think that that is the case. Um, so as you say. Um, in, in the US, there's been this precipitous decline. In the last 20 years, the number of Americans who say they're affiliated with one of the major religious traditions has gone from 70%, where it stayed pretty steadily uh, since the 60s, down to 49%. That's since 2000. Um, so, uh, and, 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 that ha and I think a lot of those people who've left the church tend to be younger people, uh, Generation X, Generation Y, and, and Z. Um, nonetheless still consider themselves spiritual. So they've been turned off by churches, particularly by evangelical churches, but they haven't necessarily gone full atheist materialist. Um, so they are searching now. They've become what I've always considered myself, seekers, the word that really kind of pisses off uh, Christians <laughs> and probably everybody else. But um, so w where do I find meaning now? Where do I find community? What kind of practices can I draw on? This is also, by the way, and this is a, a longer term trend, a reaction to globalization. It's a reaction to coming into contact with other faiths, other wisdom traditions. Uh, and that leads to this kind of dissonance. Um, how, do, how do these relate to my faith? Does, you know, are these false? Are these demonic? Uh, you know, because my, if you're a Christian, there's the, there's a claim to exclusivity, exclusive truth in that. Jesus is the way, the light, and the truth. So there's been this kind of um, culture shock, uh, really since the early 20th century, but particularly since the 60s, as people come into contact with things like Buddhism, Hinduism, Sufism, and so on. And some people have reacted to that by approach, you know, embracing a kind of perennialism. Uh, there are there are many ways to God. And it's okay to, to do a kind of bricolage 
of different practices, different ideas, even different teachers. The absolute epitome of this is, is who I've been reading about this week, is Oprah Winfrey, uh, a huge influence on American culture. And over the last 30 years has really pioneered this kind of spirituality. She says, I consider myself spiritual, but not religious. And she has showcased Buddhist teachers, Hindu, New Age, uh, and it's about finding your own truth, trusting your intuition, uh, as well as alternative health and so on. So she, she's been very influential in taking this very mainstream, particularly in the States. Can I roll you all the way back and sort of and, and take, take us back to perhaps the 18th century, the Enlightenment, which forces this split between the world of the mind, the world of the external, and the world of the internal. Yeah, I mean, you can even see it starting to happen in the 16th century. There's a move to make Christianity more rational, more, more bureaucratic. The church, churches become suspicious of mystical practices, uh, the ideas of direct connection to God. There's always a battle within Christianity against kind of Gnostic tendencies. People who claim to have a direct connection to God are always seen as a bit suspicious and dangerous. But then, as you say, particularly in the Enlightenment, particularly in the scientific revolution of the 17th century, you have materialist philosophers like, say, Thomas Hobbes saying, the universe is a machine, the humans are machines, everything is material. Um, and if you think you're connecting to God or angels, you're deluded. Uh, this is a delusion, a mental delusion. Uh, religion isn't just wrong, it's crazy. Uh, particularly religious ecstasy. And it's not just bad for you as an individual. It's not just uh, uh, an individual delusion. It's dangerous for society because look at the, um, you know, the 30 years war, look at the religious wars that just, you know, ruined Europe in the 17th century. Everyone thinking they're right, all these ecstatic movements murdering each other. So we need to you know, this is what people like Thomas Hobbes and other kind of Enlightenment philosophers argued. Uh, we need to somehow sideline religious ecstasy uh, and debunk it, show that it's deluded and create a new kind of rational, self-controlled, secular uh, Enlightenment society. Um, so ecstasy, which, which has an important place in, in, in every other culture and in Christian culture and in classical culture, becomes uh, pathologized. It starts to be called things like enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a bad thing in the 18th century. It means you're, you're letting your imagination carry you away. You're seeing castles in the air. It later becomes called things like in the 19th century, um, uh, early neurologists and psychiatrists say that religious ecstasy is actually hysteria. It's actually a brain pathology. So there's no real place for the ecstatic in a materialist culture. It's also a totally different model of the self, of the mind. Uh, the ecstatic self is porous. We live in a, a spirit-filled universe and spirits and demons can come into the self, fill us with charisma and ecstatic powers or all kind of possessions. Whilst in the materialist society, we are what uh, the philosopher Charles Taylor calls buffered self. You know, we are separate atomized selves and there's, there's, there's no way that spirits can, can go into us because spirits are delusional. Um, so, so, so this, you know, there's, there's been this steady in Western society, marginalization and pathologization of ecstasy, 
uh, of the ecstatic, of this idea that you can go beyond your ordinary self and connect to some kind of spirit realm. But as you've written, um, this Enlightenment rationalist attempt to exclude ecstasy or exclude passionate feeling or enthusiasm from the realm of human experience fails from the get-go. You just mentioned romanticism. Um, But perhaps we can walk through some of the very powerful movements which sought to pull it back in. Maybe romanticism is a nice place to start. Yeah. So as as you say, in the Enlightenment, there's this idea that uh, dreams, intuition, ecstasy, imagination are suspect. Really, you should rely on rationality or the scientific method. Uh, Think of the Goya drawing. The sleep of reason produces monsters. As opposed to in, in Christian culture, there's this idea the ecstatic can give you access to truth, access to the divine. Um, the backlash against this, um, really, you know, even in the Enlightenment, you can see uh, rational philosophers talking about, for example, the importance of sentiments, the importance of emotions. So sentimentality becomes a kind of reaction to rationality in the 18th century. So you even have rationalist philosophers like David Hume saying, uh, you know, reason is and ought to be the slave of the passions. So there is this kind of mixed picture in the Enlightenment. You also then get um, ecstatic Christian movements, which which are a kind of reaction to deism, to the attempt to make Christianity rational. Methodism is, instead is all about the ecstatic. It's all about um, encountering the Holy Spirit, all about enthusiasm. Uh, then you get um, in the late 18th century with people like uh, Rousseau and then, you know, the romantic poets, German romanticism, you get um, a kind of counter-enlightenment, which says, actually, uh, ecstatic experiences are, are, are very important. They're not always delusional. They can give you an access to kind of transcendental truth, a connection to the sublime, to the numinous, uh, to the divine in some form. Uh, trance states, in states of inspiration can be important. Um, personal experience is important. Uh, and, and a reaction against the idea of, of, of mechanistic materialism, particularly in, say, the works of William Blake, but also uh, Wordsworth. And also this idea of authenticity, which is a kind of key value in, 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 in Rousseau and others. Uh, Enlightenment society is over polite, over civilized, kind of dead. But uh, I, I'm going to look within to, to I'm going to find the, the, the real me. Uh, I, I am a unique individual and I and I celebrate this. So the celebration of the particular as opposed to the, the rational and the universal, the celebration of the personal, the idiosyncratic uh, and, and the natural, the cult of the natural as opposed to the civilized which, which really takes off with Rousseau and, and is a big thing through Romanticism and into the New Age. I, I want to keep on with this sort of historical trajectory. So we have a core split, if you want. Enlightenment turns around and goes, okay, all you ecstatics out. You're not only wrong, you're also a little dangerous. Um, and let's come back to that question of dangerousness now, especially in the light of coronavirus, for example. But um, you then have... 200 years of attempted suppression of the ecstatic in human experience with that and attempted insofar as it fails because you have romanticism and then you have revivalism and then you have this extraordinary burst of charismatic Christianity in the US and and Scotland and the US and the and in the UK in the late 19th century 
and then let's rush us into um, the 20th with Alistair Crowley, the occultism of the early 10s and 20s, and then the 60s, which on some level is, the 60s is a very particular moment, isn't it? Because it's the end of a long generation, a generation which is the Industrial Revolution, the First and the Second World Wars, and a complete reinvention of the world. And that reinvention of the world is done on some pretty funky and new cultural premises. I mean, there's there's different ways, different takes one could make of it. One way I make sense of it is that you have, ex- exactly as you say, um, this kind of uh, modernist New Age movements, uh, in for, particularly from the 1880s to, to, to the Second World War. And that's a reaction to the, tri- the apparent triumph of Darwinism and materialism in the 1860s and 1870s. What you then get right across um, Europe and the States is an occult revival, a mystical revival in like the 1880s, a search for new models of the universe that are purposeful and spirit-filled. You see that in spiritualism, which is is different spirituality. Spiritualism is just the belief in spirits that, you know, you connect to around the kind of Ouija board and seance tables and so on. You get movements like theosophy, um, uh, different kind of occult movements like Aleister Crowley and the Golden Dawn. But these are... I mean, they're popular and they're influential, but I think to some extent, and I may be wrong, they are confined to um, intellectuals, to kind of progressive intellectuals, people like um, Aldous Huxley, Aleister Crowley, and so on. Um, What happens in the 60s is this goes from just the bohemian minority and it goes to a much bigger segment of society. So you get what some have called mass bohemianism or the mass intelligentsia. Why? One of the reasons is you get suddenly an expansion in higher education. Um, it goes from like 5% of people going to university to gradually, you know, like 10, 20, 30 up to today, 40 or 50% of people going to university. And uh, as, as Alan Watts puts it, that, you know, these, these new uh, graduates, um, suddenly they're reading D.H. Lawrence. They're, 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 they're getting, they're coming across uh, meditation. The old certainties of their churches are no longer enough for them. They're hungry for personal experience. They, they want to go and search. They want to travel as well. They want a, a taste of different kind of direct experiences of the divine. They're taking uh, psychedelics, a lot of them also. Um, they, they're, they're in an extremely experiential culture of the sexual revolution of, of rock and roll. And you get this um, explosion of um, Eastern wisdom in Western culture, uh, you know, uh, teachers from India and Tibet uh, come over. You get the the rise of Hare Krishna, transcendental meditation, Buddhist uh, movements as well. Um, so you get this kind of ecstatic revival. People sometimes call the '60s the Third Great Awakening of American culture, and it's um, but it's often what were the first two? Um, in the 18th century and the mid 19th century. Uh, yeah, but they were kind of more big Christian revivals. Um, so, and part of it, as you say, it, it, it is, is into spirituality, not, not uh, Christian denominations, but spiritual seekers instead. But also, you also, uh, as you mentioned, have this charism- charismatic Christian revival in the 60s and 70s too, which is often hippies becoming Jesus freaks. So in the 70s, one of the big movements is like Erhardt seminars training, uh, Werner Erhardt does takes the practices and techniques of of Esalen and takes it to corporate America, 
uh, does these big weekend workshops in hotel ballrooms where you get hundreds of people rolling around in ecstasy to find their authentic self uh, in order to become uh, a more hotshot salesperson. Wow. And you get that in, in Tony Robbins as well. And, uh, and so, yeah, now you get these kinds of spiritual and occult practices in, in, in the world of business training. Go and, you know, uh, use the Enneagram to find yourself or the Myers-Briggs or, you know, or, or, or bring in mindfulness coaches for your workforce and so on. So it's it, this, you know, if you ever seen Mad Men, you know, the final scene of Mad Men is Derek Draper, Don Draper, not Derek, Don Draper at Esalen meditating and having an awakening moment as he meditates. And he's just thought of an idea for a new advert. So so bohemianism, spirituality and capitalism fuse together. And you have critics of spirituality saying this is just this is just neoliberalism on a yoga mat, you know, all about the individual you and becoming a better you and healing yourself and taking responsibility for yourself. And it's also an extremely there's no church, you know, there's no real church structures in spirituality. So everyone's hustling. Everyone's trying to be an influencer. Everyone's out there having to having to hustle and grind on Instagram and Facebook. Hey, come to my workshop, come to my retreat, like my latest post. And it, uh, I can tell you, as, as as someone to some extent in that racket myself, there is this exhausting feeling of, you know, uh, God, I wish I just was a member of a church and had a you know regular salary as as, as a priest, you know. So it it can be like that. And why that's important for for disinformation Tori is that um, it creates an incentive to hype your wares to hype your product to hype your content um, and to hype you know alternative miracle cures um, so there's there's a big overlap between spirituality and wellness and alternative media and alternative health uh, many of the big um, wellness podcasters uh, and influencers also have their own supplement businesses. Uh, so, hey, you know, hey, don't listen to public health. Don't get vaccinated. Try my new supplement. Uh, so in a way, this reminds me of the old American tradition of the traveling medicine show. Uh, a guy pulls into town with his wagon. There's a bit of song and dance, a bit of the carnivalesque. He gives a kind of preaching and then he sells uh, snake oil remedies as well. This was a big 19th century tradition. And in a way, wellness and spiritual influences today are in that historical tradition of the traveling medicine uh, showman. And if we look at, if we look at spiritual, spirituality today, this movement here, twenty percent of, of of Americans who associate with this movement in one way or another, what what are its what are its defining features? Where do you think it sits? How countercultural is it? Um, is there an argument, for example, that in the same way that we saw a real revival of spiritualism? of one form or another in the late 19th century in the teeth of an industrial revolution and the mechanization of the world. Is there an argument that we're seeing something similar, a similar parallel today where another great metaphor for the ways in which we understand ourselves and also a truth of the future job market is artificial intelligence, this notion that computational units 
are slowly starting to encroach on what consciousness means um, and on uh, what humans, how humans value themselves. Is there, do you think there's a, do you think that the threat of AI, as well as the threat of globalization or the, the information brought to us by globalization, has accelerated this movement towards, I don't know, glorifying an authentic human self? Um, I, I don't, I don't know if people in this kind of spiritual culture yet are that kind of turned on or aware of AI, but I think what you can say is it, 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 it really grew, uh, it became, you know, started in the, in, in the sixties. So that was countercultural there. Now it's kind of almost mainstream, uh, particularly in the U S and it really grew, uh, in the in the 80s and 90s and noughties. Um, and in, in the era of globalization, the rolling back of, um, of, 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 of welfare states. And um, I think often what you find in it is a form of kind of prosperity gospel, um, but, but outside of churches. So um, when, when I, I've been, I've never really watched opera, opera, but I've been watching a lot of opera this last week. And it's really the, the American dream often. Um, if you tap into your deepest self, you can have a phenomenal life, uh, a spiritual, emotional and material. Um, you, you know, you, you are far more powerful than you realize. You can heal yourself. Uh, you can live the life of your dreams. And a lot of this is by tuning in to your deep self. So it's an aspirational message. And it's interesting, what's really happened in the last um, two years is that spiritual culture has curdled. And it's gone from this rather positive, optimistic, um, you can do it, you can live your higher self, you can connect to the universe um, you have a purpose. The universe wants the best for you. Uh, you are going to be okay. It's curdled into a much more fearful and paranoid kind of message uh, or feel my culture. Um, it has um, been very much beset by conspiracy theories uh, during the pandemic. Things like, um, you know, anti, it's always been quite anti-vax because it's always been about um, the purity of nature. And, yeah, yeah, alternative health, be the expert of your own health. But of course, in, an, in a public health crisis, when you've got vaccine mandates, it's been like, oh, the, the, the evil government is trying to force this on us. This is, this is a racket. Um, the new world order, it, it has an, a secret agenda to control us. The, the QAnon conspiracy has unfortunately, and, and perhaps surprisingly, really gone through a lot of uh, yoga and wellness culture. So you've got Wuanon, it's called, or kind of, uh, you know, uh, pastel Wuanon or, or pastel QAnon. So yoga mums and, 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 and new age people like me um, got, um, got really, really went down that rabbit hole during the last 18 years and, uh, sorry, 18 months. And so, and, and, and actually people like Isaiah Berlin, have spoken in the past about these two moods you get in, in Gnosticism and then in Romanticism and now in the New Age, optimistic and pessimistic. Optimistic is you can do it. Uh, the universe is on your side. We are, you know, we're about to shift to a, a higher level of consciousness, a new age of love. The universe loves you. You can fulfill your dreams. That's the kind of positive 
optimistic, ecstatic um, mood in this in this culture. And then there's a pessimistic mood, which is why isn't it happening? Why is my life crummy? Why hasn't the age of love happened? Um, you know, some someone or some group must be blocking it. Um, we are light and love. We're the light workers. So it's not anything to do with us. There must be some kind of evil cabal. Um, and this, you know, and Isaiah Berlin talks about this in, in the 50s, this kind of paranoid conspiratorial aspect of romanticism, of new age culture. And it's always there. And it's really come out in the last 18 months. Um, uh, it must be like the, 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 the Illuminati or, 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 or the deep state or the new world order or the great reset or something. The elites, uh, you know, they're not like us. In fact, they might not even be human. They might actually be a different species, perhaps lizards, this kind of thing. So um, what, what I and others call conspirituality has unfortunately um, taken hold of our culture. And if you go to anywhere where the new age is big around the world, you will find anti-vax, uh, anti-mask, anti-lockdown uh, uh, sentiment uh, very strong, but also far out conspiracies. If you go to uh, Tulum in Mexico, which is a big new age place, you'll find it's full of this kind of conspiracy theories or Byron Bay in, in Australia or Glastonbury, where there have been fights in the kind of Whole Foods stores uh, between uh, the, the, the masked and the, and the anti-masked. And, 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 you know, so new, my culture has unfortunately become rather really polarized. Friendships have been broken. Um, it's been it's really charged. Uh, people can't really even talk to each other. Um, where both sides thinks the other side is completely selfish and brainwashed, <laughs> you know, and just needs to wake up. You've just started to touch on the where I want us to get to, which is this question of how, what the thinking is. How does the thinking work? I think one, th one first important thing to emphasize is we <laughs> um, put emphasis on intuition. Uh, and on personal experience. This is very important. And this, you know, goes back to the romantics. Someone like Ralph Waldo Emerson says, trust thyself. Every heart, uh, you know, um, runs according to that. Um, so this is big emphasis on trust yourself, trust your personal e experience, trust your intuition, uh, trust your imagination. There is an openness to, um, from personal experience, including ecstatic experience, trust, um, alternate forms of consciousness, altered states of consciousness. There's an openness to altered states. They're seen as worthwhile. And that's contrary to um, a lot of Western culture, which is afraid of surrender, uh, not into losing control, thinks altered states of consciousness. Yeah, maybe we're all a bit curious about them these days after the 60s, but on the whole, oh, that, that I don't want to go crazy. And I don't want to be laughed at and seen as ridiculous. So in New Age culture, there's much more of an openness. We're, we, we, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're, there's almost a competitiveness about altered states there. Oh, well, I, you know, I, I did DMT last weekend and, uh, you know, couldn't speak for a week. Oh, well, I, you know, I, uh, I tried mushrooms and I forgot my name for, for, for 24 hours or something. So there's, there's competitive ego death, as, as Vice magazine calls it. Um, there's a personality trait which, psychologists and anthropologists have identified which which overlaps with this some people are you know so first of all some people are just you know put more emphasis 
on on intuitive reasoning as opposed to analytical um, and on inspiration, aha moments and so on. There's also a personality trait called absorption, which is um, some people are just more absorbed into personal experience. They're more absorbed into, say, when they watch a film or read a book. Uh, they, they have more of a capacity to be absorbed into uh, imaginary worlds. Uh, it, when they pray or meditate, there's more of a capacity to be absorbed into that. So people who kind of, you know, have spiritual experiences or, you know, hear the voice of God or that kind of thing uh, will probably score high in this personality trait of absorption. Um, there's also kind of people who are more likely to have unusual experiences and unusual beliefs. This can be called um, sometimes uh, schizotypal or schizoid, which does not necessarily just mean crazy. There is such a, th a thing as benign schizotypy, which is just uh, a capacity to think out of the box. That can be a good thing if you're a, a creative person. To think in non-linear ways, to think in non-rational. I can see the link straight back into capitalism here, which is going to, we're going to work out that actually people in, in the new age have this greater capacity for absorption, therefore greater capacity for flow, therefore more productive laborers. Um, and therefore I mean, should... in, in, in theory, what you also get is a whole ecstatic experience economy. So we, you know, as soon as 60s kids said, hey, we want direct experience, you know, uh, advertisers and corporates kind of woke up to this and said, oh, we can sell you immersive experiences, ecstatic experiences, you know, um, and by the way, the psychedelic industry is, is, is booming at the moment. They're calling it the shroom boom. So <laughs> capitalism is so clever at selling back uh, rebellion. But um, so out of this emphasis on intuition, uh, openness to ecstatic experiences, there's also uh, a sense that, um, you know, there's much more sense of the universe as being filled with soul, uh, as filled with purpose, uh, and that you can somehow uh, divine your purpose, your vocation, by tuning in to that kind of inner voice. Um, there is, and, and along with that might go uh, certain personality traits like patternicity, uh, a tendency to see patterns and to see meaning in an event that um, other people might see as just random. So, uh, oh, that person called, that's the, maybe the universe speaking to you, uh, or that might be synchronicity. So this is, there's a certain personality type, which I'm probably am myself, which sees a kind of pattern and symmetry and meaning and, and, and beauty and purpose to events. So this is the opposite to say someone who's very into like, Bayesian probabilistic reasoning and you know randomness uh someone like me you know is is more likely to see kind of pattern and meaning and and and, and synchronicity to things let's just open that up a little bit because it's fascinating and i think there's been lots of work done on the evolutionary bases for um this capacity for humans to see patterns it on some level profound level it's kind of what counts as intelligence to be able to link between one thing and another and see that there is a general principle at play um, um and of course it's the kind of thing which told us once you've eaten one dodgy mushroom you know a hundred thousand years ago perhaps don't eat another dodgy mushroom because the results might be the same there's a pattern there so there's obviously some deep human um capacity for patterns because it's been evolutionary terribly helpful for us but what you're describing is in a sense pattern pattern discovery which may be pushed further than um, can be empirically justified. Yeah, exactly as you say, this can be a, 
a helpful uh, uh, personality trait, particularly if you're uh, creative. And I think on the whole, it's 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 good. It's probably maybe evolutionarily adaptive to think you live in a universe with purpose and meaning that cares about you and that you have a, uh, you know, a purpose and a vocation. This can be very inspiring. This, as, as, as William James wrote in The Varieties of Religious Experience, it's, it's adaptive uh, to, 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 to think that there's, you know, that there's a, a God or higher power that's on your side. And, the, and, the, and, the, and this can lead to great fruits. This can be inspiring and energizing. Um, but it can be toxic as well. It can be misleading. Intuition can be misleading. Uh, absorption can be misleading. Altered states can be uh, misleading. Um, yeah, we can. We, it can lead to a complete conspiracy theory mindset, um, or you know, I, I, either on the positive sense, everything's connected. I know that the universe is on my side, so I know that I can just put all my money in crypto, and it's just definitely going to work. I can just feel it. Or everything's connected, but in in a, in a kind of diabolic way. I, this 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 proves that the Illuminati in control, and that proves it, and everything proves it's all part of one grand plan. So of course it's dangerous when you try to connect all of messy reality into too neat a map, and then get overly fused or fixated with your with your map, and you mistake the map for the territory. That's fascinating. So just to go through some of the. Um, more problematic features of this kind of thinking. One is, as you say, if you're looking for patterns everywhere, um, you're going to end up with some really quite terrifying mistakes because the world is too messy to be put into these blocks. And um, and that way conspiracy theories lie um, for the obvious reason that they need simple explanations. And the simple explanation is usually a Jew or the rich or lizard people, or the Illuminati, as you say, or whatever it might be. Um, so that's one. The Another that you flagged earlier in this conversation was um, all the negatives of the very positive uh, approach, which is to think that you yourself um, contain certain clues to yourself, that, you, that the discovery of yourself is a, is, a, is a piece of work and a value. But of course, if you're running your understanding of the world purely through a subjective um, lens, it's kind of hard for other people to argue with you, and therefore you may get things wrong. So in a sense, that old critique of the ecstatic or the, the enthusiastic of the 18th century, which is that you, you can end up with lunatics causing tremendous problems across Europe and elsewhere. Um, a third piece in terms of the dangers of this kind of thinking is, um, which you've spoken about elsewhere, is the, um, the spiritual tendency to find to, to see monsters or to see um, negatives or demons or devils or the thing out there which is causing danger can you talk a little bit about that yeah well i mean there are different ways we could approach it one way to, to think about it is the openness to altered states of consciousness including an openness to kind of dream intuition the ecstatic there are different modes of knowing uh, which which we have in our mind. One way you could think of is kind of uh, mythical knowing, uh, magical knowing. Um, so I think spiritual people um, can love a good story uh, and a good and a good and and really appreciate the power of myth and story, but can sometimes um, you know get stuck in the in the mythical lens 
and see the the messy complexity of modernity through a kind of mythical or, or, or fantasy lens, uh, like a kind of this is why we love Lord of the Rings or, or or Dune or Harry Potter. These are all extremely powerful myths, uh, and 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 uh, and we love them. They're kind of catnip for our minds. But what you sometimes see in 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 in, in spirituality is is that kind of mythical thinking, but you know, looking at 21st century politics through that. So, um, so you know, we we saw um, spiritual people get very into the kind of Trump QAnon um, myth. Uh, Trump is a divine light worker f- uh, from a kind of fifth dimension universe. He's 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 playing five dimensional chess, and he's you know we're about to move into an age of love. All we've got to do is uh, round up the evil uh, Illuminati uh, liberals uh, and, and, and put them on military trial, and then the rapture will come. So there's, uh, there's often this kind of apocalyptic thinking, and spirituality thinks of itself as post-Christian, but it's often not quite as post-Christian as it, as it thinks. And it still often has that kind of apocalyptic you know, thinking to it. So um, New Ages, uh, you know, in, in the in the 1920s, there was a sense a new age is coming, a messiah is coming, uh, and uh, there were all kinds of messiahs popping up uh, in the 20s, including in Vienna, unfortunately, including like in Adolf Hitler. There was all this kind of you know messiah cult around him. Same thing happened in 2000 in the millennium. 2012, there was a sense oh the Mayan prophecy. We're about to move into an era of harmonic convergence. So th- there's often this kind of apocalyptic thing. And there's often the kind of uh, splitting that happens in, um, in, in New Age culture. Uh, I am pure light and love. Uh, I, I, um, so uh, positive vibes only, you know, nothing but good vibes. Uh, but bad things keep happening in the world. Why is that? Well, there's no there's no darkness in in me, so it's therefore the monsters out there. But we should also talk about um, this sense of being drawn to alternative thinking, uh, alternative health. Certainly, okay. So mainstream medicine is overly mechanistic. It leaves out the mind, it leaves out the emotions, it leaves out the soul. But alternative health caters to that more. So uh, I don't want your mainstream public health solutions. I want my alternative health solutions. Um, Alternative news. Hey, think for yourself. Uh, You know, the mainstream is just like the matrix. So it's a lot about, you know, think for yourself. You can think of spirituality as kind of hyper-Protestantism. Think for yourself. Follow your own path. Um, and, 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 and that can be both positive and, and negative, but in, in, a, in a kind of public health crisis, yeah, of course, they're not going to believe what the experts, you know, the public health experts tell you. Uh, find your own truth. Find your own cure. Um, I, you know, I, I had a, a kind of a spiritual friend who I'm extremely fond of, and I, I was uh, living with them during the, the pandemic and I remember overhearing a homeopathy workshop she was on online and the teacher saying and someone asking the teacher uh, if I resonate at a high frequency can I not get COVID and, and, and the teacher basically saying yes you know if you resonate at the frequency of love you're going to be uh, immune to COVID so there's the real openness to kind of alternative cures and along with that open uh, alternativeness can come narcissism I know the secret truth. 
uh, everyone else are asleep. So unfortunately, sometimes with this kind of um, spirituality, you get a tendency to spiritual narcissism. Um, and that also comes out of the rejection of Christianity sometimes, the rejection of the value of humility. Um, though, of course, Christians can be narcissists as well. But, um, but yeah, so I think that, 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 that's, that's a kind of uh, an issue with my culture is um, think for yourself. That sounds great. But it, 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 always think for yourself. Always just follow your own truth. You know, and, and reject uh, evidence-based truth claims by saying, oh, that, that doesn't resonate with me. I don't feel that here. Um, so that you can see how that can be dangerous in a public health crisis. And there is, of course, a direct crossover with conspiracy theory, conspiratorially minded people insofar as there's, again, measured higher incidence of narcissism amongst conspiracy theorists who, again, feel the same. They feel like they're the only ones who understand how the world works and, in fact, use conspiracies as a way of bolstering their sense of uniqueness and perhaps in the same way that some people in the spiritual community do the same thing um the question i was going to ask you which is which i've never really understood is is why all the millenarianism why do why do people so many people seem so excited about the prospect of the world ending it's not about the world just ending and there being nothing that's only if you're a kind of hardcore buddhist you're like finally i'm off the uh i'm off the cycle of death and rebirth for most um christians or post-christians and and it and it's also their in other cultures as well, it's the idea that the broken world is going to end. This, this, uh, you know, you look around the world, all these problems, suffering, starvation, climate change. Why is it all so wrong? Why, why, why you know, uh, well, because the old world is going to pass away, and the new age will be born. So, in this sense, you know, you, the, the romanticism in the new age is very post-Christian. We're about to move into a new dispensation. Um, a new Jerusalem, a new age of love, um, and that's um, that's appealing. Um, and 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 I, I personally, I don't think I've ever been. I mean, I'm 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 uh, uh, you know I'm a spiritual person, always been part of this culture, but I've never really gone for that millenarianism. But I, I have so many friends who do. I, I they just find it appealing, and they and they really believe, and you know that we are. Often it takes evolutionary forms in spiritual culture because spirituality was a reaction to kind of Darwinism. So they kind of what they did is they adopted Darwinism. It's this idea humans are about to evolve to a higher species, to a higher stage of consciousness, to kind of homo superior. Um, and, you know, sometimes it takes in, 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 in California a kind of techno utopianism. Uh, we're going to move into the singularity or we're going to become an interstellar species. Or as um, Yuval Harari has talked about, maybe we're going to develop some kind of super intelligence, like maybe the higher stage of consciousness will actually be um, a, a machine. Um, why is it, I, you know, look, it's just some feature about human nature, I think, that um, we love a good story and we love a story with a happy ending. And it's just um, it's just a myth that that sucks us in, uh, and and you know, I think yeah, people, you know, one of the the idea that the universe, uh, you know, the, the the enlightenment was unusual in saying that the universe, the world is not going to end, um, and uh, and there's not going to be this apocalypse. Uh, there's just going to be kind of gradual improvement but even the enlightenment thinkers very much often got sucked into forms of apocalypticism like 
Marxism or, you know, like scientific utopianism. If you read H.G. Wells, it's all about we are about to go through some extraordinary transition. The future is going to be unbelievably better than the past. So there's many varieties of apocalypticism. It, it also plays very much to um, what you described Berlin, um, Berlin's formulation of the, the, the very dark and the very light. And um, so the kind of Manichaeanism there, which can only be resolved by one winning. Um, and if, like me, not part of this culture, I quite like the mess. I love the mess. The mess is where I have all my fun. Um, I kind of want all of it to be existing simultaneously. But again, if you're play, playing hard, bad and hard, good, you obviously want one to win. You've seen it also, I don't know, in the last couple of years with, with coronavirus, this sort of millenarian hope that coronavirus would change the way we are. You know, after 18 months of lockdown and all of us going slightly bonkers, we'd come out with a different understanding of the world and a better appreciation of humankind. There's also a kind of millenarian apocalyptic positive millenarianism associated with climate change as well, which is, um, you know, climate change, as horrible as it is and as deeply damaging and dangerous and murderous, will force a new reckoning upon humankind. And therefore, there is a, yeah, there's a peculiar millenarianism across the left in relation to climate change, I feel, too. Absolutely. Um, spiritual um, culture is often accused of being uh, very selfish and apolitical, and it certainly can be, but one area where it's often more concerned and more activist than other faith groups is on the environment uh, and, and climate change. Um, and you do get kind of... Um, uh, neo-primitivist uh, uh, or eco-spiritual, a uh, deep ecology environmentalist. So you get kind of what what Bron Taylor calls dark green religion. Uh, you know, uh, nature nature mysticism, and in those kinds of spiritual, you know, for example, Extinction Rebellion in in the UK. You know, its founder had the vision for it after a, a psychedelic ceremony. Uh, and you get kind of uh, people going and meditating in front of, you know, motorists. Oxford Street. I've seen them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, so um, there's, there's, you know, so you get this kind of a, a spiritual environmentalism. But and and within that movement, sometimes is like um, nature's going to give us a big spiritual lesson. Um, so you're absolutely right that, um, and and I, I kind of more think, yeah, that, that we're just going to muddle through which is what always happens. But, you know, these apocalyptic movements still are historically significant. Even if, you know, the age of love never dawns, often the belief that it is or the search for it still creates historical change. So, you know, the civil rights movement is, is charismatic and, 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 and apocalyptic or, or the abolitionist movement or, or the environmental movement. So though they never get to where they think they're getting to, they still help things to change and sometimes in positive ways um jules we've spoken a lot about um the ways in which the spiritual community thinks and sometimes thinks wrongly um but in your formulation i think if i without putting words into your mouth um we lose quite a lot when um in the Enlightenment, we say all of this is gobbledygook, all of this is dangerous, all of this needs to be excluded as 
part of the realm of human experience because it's bonkers, because it's mad and dangerous. Um, so can we talk, can I ask you to talk a little bit about where um, you think anti-spiritual, rationalist culture, sort of the alternative world, um, the mirror world to what we've just been describing, what it's got wrong, what it's got missing, what it's lacking, how its modes of thinking reduce human experience? Yeah. Um, well, I personally think um, mechanistic materialism uh, misses out important things in terms of the model of um, of, 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 of the of the of the human and of of, of reality. Um, it misses out the mind. Um, it misses out the the importance of of consciousness and of subjectivity. It's all a kind of third person view of of the human as machine. Um, so. Uh, you know, I think wellness culture gets that right, which is uh, your mind is important to your health and 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 well-being. Um, you, you can, you know, your 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 thoughts make a difference uh, to your to your health. Your thoughts can make you sick, uh, and so there's there's a, there's a value in learning to take care of your mind, to to cultivate. Uh, consciousness and, and 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 different forms of consciousness, whether that's kind of meditative, contemplative, and so on, that's good for you. Uh, your emotions matter as well. You can go to a um, uh, a kind of normal hospital and be treated like a piece of meat. Uh, you're just a machine. Uh, your feelings don't really matter. Uh, your 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 mind doesn't really matter, and that's rather alienating. And you know, people go to say an acupuncturist or a, a, a kind of a homeopath. Their treatment may be woo woo, but at least they feel seen and kind of cared for. Uh, and and you know, they 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 they're given a kind of frame which is a frame of of meaning for what they're going through. I also personally find the idea that we're in a you know meaningless universe. Uh, and nothing we do ultimately matters. Uh, uh, you know, you can carve out a little bit of personal meaning, but then you die and that's it. Uh, that's uninspiring to me. Uh, I find that kind of uh, depressing. And, and I, like William James, I choose to believe that what I do matters, uh, matters to the universe, uh, to, 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 to God. Uh, and um, I know that that might not be true, and I'm okay with that. Like if I if I die and it's not true, oh well, you know. But that's how I live my life, and that helps me and supports me and sustains me. Um, so I, I also think that if you say basically only rational analytical consciousness is reliable, and all other forms of consciousness are delusional, you live in a very narrow window of human experience. You are basically making an enemy of these other kinds of um, forms of human consciousness. So I, you know, I believe like like a good Swiss Army knife in in using these multiple forms of consciousness and seeing their value and their drawbacks and 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 being the the, the technical phrase is polyphasic as opposed to monophasic, which means you are you are open to multiple forms of consciousness and see and see their value. Um, so, so those are kind of some ways, and I, you know, I, I also think that kind of, you know, myths are important, and like 
um, my brother wrote, Alex Evans wrote a book called The Myth Gap, all about you know, the importance of myths and non-rational uh, stories and ways of knowing and how they inspire us. Um, so so I, I think kind of myths and stories are important as well. And in fact, everyone uses them whether they know they do or not. Um, so um, so those are, 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 are some of the ways. Um, I think if, you know, wellness, it's easy to mock wellness culture as totally woo-woo. But it's actually, to it's it's so mainstream now. It's It's so kind of accepted. Um, the NHS in, in the UK, for example, is now trying to integrate mental and physical health care so that if you go into a, a hospital, are you suffering, you know, recovering from a cardiac arrest, for example, they're not just going to give you physical treatments. They're going to give you, um, you know, therapy as well. So there's an understanding that your mind and your emotions affect your 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 physical health. We are, um, you know, we're, we're desperately looking for. Uh, ways to treat depression and anxiety in our culture, which is it seems to be becoming more and more of a problem. Um, there's an openness now to well, you know, things like meditation, things like yoga, things like um, contemplative learning to train your mind, learning to be still can be very good for you. Also, as I mentioned earlier, there's this booming uh, industry in psychedelic therapy. The idea that mystical experiences can be profoundly healing for you at a kind of subconscious level, helping to uh, liberate you from ingrained patterns of behavior or thinking. Uh, not through decades of Freudian therapy, um, but through, through these kinds of, um, you know, yeah, mystical experiences, which then, of course, have to be integrated. Um, so those are, are some of the ways. Um, I think also in terms of like the next 20 years and the, 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 the challenges we face as a species. Uh, and, um, and I think spirituality at its best offers um, hope uh, and consolation and meaning. And we, we, are, we as a culture are very much going to need that uh, in the face of... Uh, change, turbulence, and, and death. Um, so uh, I, uh, yeah, so we, I, 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 I think we will we'll, we'll very much need that sense of um, there being something uh, more to us than just our, our bodies and, and, and maybe more to us than just our individual lives as well. That something, that, you know, something carries on and that, that, that maybe we'll ultimately be okay. That faith in that the, 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 the arc of the universe bends towards justice i think is uh, and and i think we we need that as a species what a beautiful way of wrapping this jules and also thank you for the deeply mechanistic image of the swiss army knife to talk about the importance ah, of yeah, there uh, you go. of the multiphasic <laughs> these uh, these different epistemologies that we uh, that we might be able to have access to it's been thrilling talking to you thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through this Pleasure, Tori. Lovely to see you. That was On Opinion, the Palia podcast. Check out our show notes if you'd like to dig deeper into this episode's theme and join me at palia.com to explore all the world's opinions. To stay up to date with new episodes or get further insights from our guests, subscribe to On Opinion the Palia podcast, 
wherever you listen and follow us on social media at Ask Palia. All our links are in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us and leave us a review. Thank you for listening.